I'm Taylor, and this is the Hopeless Sportsmantic Podcast. Welcome in, everybody, to the first 2021 edition of the Hopeless Sportsmantic Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we're going to give you my initial thoughts and reactions to the James Harden trade, which is a four-team deal involving the Rockets, the Nets, the Pacers, and the Cavs, all in this one trade involving arguably the top scorer in the NBA, and going to give you my picks and reasoning as to why for the divisional round matchups here in the NFL playoffs. So to jump right in, start out with my NFL playoff predictions, given that we've kind of had that set and known over the past week, had a few days to sit on it, mar- let it, my thoughts marinate a little bit. So start out with the one seeds matchup in the NFC, which is the Packers. They play the Rams after the Rams beat, of course, the Seattle Seahawks and the super wild card game. This is, going to be some prime time play on the outside for both teams going on i think this is just going to be wonderful to watch if you're a fan of skill position guys you got Jair alexander going up against cooper cup on one side and then when packers have the ball you got jalen ramsey going against Devonta adams arguably best corner in the nfl in my opinion the best corner in the nfl and then arguably the number one receiver in the NFL makes that even more intriguing is that those guys haven't played against each other since I believe Ramsey's rookie year or so. So it's been a while since they've played. Don't really know what the matchup is really going to look like because a lot, both guys have really grown and developed over time. Of course, Ramsey came in, was a first round pick right out of the gate had high expectations but Devonte adams was one of those mid-round picks out of fresno state and he's really turned into one of the better receivers kind of from a different route but i just love this for so many reasons gonna watch aaron Rodgers get to throw the ball around the field against the number one defense in the nfl with Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd coming after Rodgers at the same time. Jalen Ramsey on the outside. John Johnson, one of the new up-and-coming safeties in the league on that defense as well. And then Jair Alexander, Zedarius Smith in that rover position for the Packers, and Preston Smith, one of the more versatile outside linebackers, also on that defense as well. This is just going to be a very intriguing game to watch. And... I think it's going to be pretty close. I think Rams are going to be able to keep them in the game despite the questionable quarterback play we'll probably see with Jared Goff having that thumb injury. But I still got the Packers winning in a slugfest, probably 20-13, to 13, something like that. Maybe even 17-3 if it can stay really low scoring. I just don't see a way for the lack of consistent quarterback play to not come back to bite the Rams late in the game. It's going to take a real, some really good play from that offensive line and the running back Cam Akers, who had a tremendous game, really jumped off the screen when I was watching the wildcard game. He's going to have to have a tremendous game as well 
turn those four or five yard gains into some extra 10, 15 yard gains if LA wants to have a shot at winning this game and upsetting the number one seed in the NFC. I think when it comes down to it, that quarterback play along with the fact that Green Bay is going to have that extra week of rest. I don't think the fatigue in the later part of the game is really going to hit them as hard. So to conclude that game, Green Bay 20, LA 13. Now we'll jump right into the NFC South matchup between the Saints and the Buccaneers. This is going to be in New Orleans with them being the higher seed. And you'd think on paper – coming into this season that it would be split and this would be a close game. But I mean, new Orleans has dominated the first two games in this series, uh, even more so when they play their second game against each other in Tampa with Tampa, having more time to kind of gel and develop some team, team chemistry. That was probably one of the most dominant defensive games I've ever seen. Brady had no time to throw. None of the receivers were open. And then Alvin Kamara and Drew Brees were able to just hit those timely plays and really just run away with that game early. It was just pretty much coasting for almost two and a half quarters in that game with how well New Orleans was able to dominate. I think they just have Bruce Arians and Tom Brady's number. I think they've just got some game plan figured out. I think their scouting department did a tremendous job. Notice I'd like to say that because looking like Terry Fontenot was going to be the next Falcons GM, but that's beside the point. But, I mean, they just are, they always seem ready for what's coming when it comes to Tampa. And Tampa didn't look that great against Washington, but New Orleans also didn't look great against Chicago. Now, I credit some of that to both of those teams having really good defenses, especially Chicago. I mean, from the front four all the way into the back end, they just don't really have many weaknesses. But New Orleans was still able to find a way to win that game. I think you'd, you'd think that it would be Mitchell Trubisky kind of playing like the stereotype that he has and really giving the game away. But he actually made some pretty good throws, especially – he threw a nice fade route to Javon Wims that was pretty impressive and then had a few chain movers to Darnell Mooney as well in that game. But I just don't see a way that Tampa is going to be able to win this game. I think this pass rush is too good for New Orleans with Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport. I think they'll even have a chance to get Trey Hendrickson back, which I think is going to just help with having more depth on that D line as the game wears on, but it's going to take another solid game against Mike Evans for Marshawn Lattimore. I mean, those guys have really gone at it in those divisional games over the past few years. And I expect that trend to continue. It would be interesting to say, I, I will not be surprised if this game gets chippy and we have, maybe a game deciding penalty just given the history that those two guys have with of course Mike Evans being the one that completely ran across the field and sucker punched Marcus in Marshawn into the ground after Jameis Winston uh, had some words to say to him 
kind of funny that those two were teammates now in New Orleans, but I'm going to go with 24-10 New Orleans. Alvin Kamara kind of breaks it open a l- little bit late. Takes takes some time to get going, but I think in the second half he's just he's just too slippery. He's just too explosive for them t- for Tampa to be able to limit him throughout the entire game, even with Devin White being able to come back from the COVID list in this game. So New Orleans, the third time is not the charm for Tampa, and New Orleans is going to take care of business again in the divisional round. Now we move over to the AFC games. First off, one seed in the AFC, Kansas City, is going to face the wild card team, out of the AFC North, one of the wild card teams out of the AFC North. Sorry about that. There's two of them still left, but Cleveland Browns and Kansas City Chiefs. Now, Cleveland, even with Kevin Stefanski and a lot of their staff out, were still able to really dominate Pittsburgh in the first half. I mean, the scoreboard did not do that game justice and just how much they were able to take over the game completely on both sides of the ball really ran the ball effectively, hit those timely third down throws when they needed to, created a ton of chaos and turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to see another great receiver-cornerback matchup in this game with Denzel Ward and Tyreek Hill going at it in this game. You can kind of see that's kind of a theme that I'm just going to be really excited to see in all of these games is just the tremendous receiver and corner matchups and even just some corner play for those teams that don't really have a really top elite receiver. But I am actually going to go Cleveland in this game. Kansas City, although they come in 15-1 and having that extra week to rest, I think they're the team that kind of has that the bye week kind of hurts them a little bit, especially with how... I mean, they've really come out flat already in a lot of these games. I mean, much more talented than Atlanta playing at home in that game, and they really let Atlanta hang around for way too long and probably would have lost if A.J. Terrell hadn't have dropped a interception in the end zone covering Tyreek Hill one-on-one of all things. But I just think those slow starts come back to bite them talked in previous shows about how there's kind of a formula to beat Kansas city where you can rush three, drop eight and try to keep Patrick Mahomes contained in the pocket. And given the defensive line that Cleveland has with miles Garrett, with Larry Ogunjobi, I mean, I think they're a team that they not, I'm not necessarily saying they'll be able to get sacks, but they'll still be able to get some pretty good pressure even with a three-man rush, given the talent that they have on the defensive line. Be interesting to see the matchup between Mitchell Swartz and Miles Garrett in that game as well. But I think Cleveland really is going to be able to run the ball effectively. I think they're going to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. I don't think they eliminate the big play. I still think that Kansas City hits one or two of them, I see probably Tyree Kill, and then maybe a not pretty good seam route for Travis Kelsey. But 
I think the key is going to be can Baker Mayfield make those third down throws in order to keep a drive going, keep the momentum in Cleveland's favor. And he showed a great ability to do that in Pittsburgh against a very good defense in Pittsburgh. So I think he'll be able to keep that trend going. And I'm picking Cleveland in an upset here in the AFC. And now to finish off the divisional round picks, it's going to end in the Buffalo Bills at home versus the Baltimore Ravens. And this is yet again another amazing, tremendous wide receiver cornerback matchup. We have Stephon Diggs going up against Marlon Humphrey. This is going to be, I think, the most intriguing matchup of this weekend. And, of course, we've all seen the tremendous progression by Josh Allen throughout the season. Made a few sloppy plays last week against Indianapolis. But even then, that veteran secondary and that defense as a whole that Buffalo has was able to make some timely plays and stop Indianapolis late, even with some horrible review calls not going their way. I don't understand how that Zach Pascal fumble was called down. I just truly don't even know what to expect from replay anymore, but they were still able to make enough plays to win the game. I think this is going to be the one shootout of the weekend. There's just so many game breakers on both teams. I mean, you got Lamar going up against Hollywood Brown, who I think he's going, I mean, playing with Hollywood Brown. I think he's going to struggle a bit because, I mean, you got Tredavious White as well for Buffalo, another top corner but I think Mark Andrews is going to be able to fill in that gap a little bit and they'll hit some big plays. Running game is going to be able to pay dividends for Baltimore over the course of the game. But I still think the lack of any true elite receiver is going to hold back Baltimore, and I think they're going to become one-dimensional towards the later part of the game when they really are going to need those big third-down conversions. So I'm going to go with Buffalo in this one, 31-21. And it's looking like it's going to be Buffalo and Cleveland in the AFC Championship game for me. So with that being said, those are my divisional round picks for this weekend. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to jump right into the uh, my reaction to the James Harden fiasco of a trade that was going on throughout this entire week. All right, to shift back over to the NBA, massive trade went down earlier this week involving four teams. So it was the Rockets getting Victor Oladipo, some European guy, never heard his name before, Rodians, Curix or something, Dante Exum, Four unprotected first-round picks, one from Brooklyn in 2022, a 2024 pick, a 2026 pick, and a Milwaukee, a pick that was from Milwaukee in 2022 as well. 
And they also got four unprotected first-round pick swaps in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. Very Oklahoma City-esque move by them. Nets get James Harden. That's it. And the Pacers got Karis LeVert and a 2023 second-round pick. And the Cavs got Jared Allen and one other player. I cannot quite remember who it is off the top of my head. But few glue guys I remember. I know it was a couple of glue guys there for Cleveland as they tried to develop their young players. Obvious winner of this trade to me has to be Houston. They're going to be set up very well for the future. Going to be able to, I think, speed up the process for this rebuild. And they're able to get rid of a guy that's really been kind of hurting the culture in Houston for a few years now. And I think it's kind of led to it getting reaching its end in Houston earlier this week. And... I think the best they've done what's best for this team in their future, which is a fresh start, get that massive contract that Harden has out of the way, especially now that they've been able to get rid of Russell Westbrook as well. So they're loaded with draft picks made a joke with a friend earlier this week that wouldn't surprise me if the 2026 Western conference finals are between Oklahoma, OKC in Houston just with how much uh, talent and future draft picks they're going to have stacked up. They're also able to get Victor Oladipo who coming off of the ACL injury that he had is going to is is on an expiring contract as well so they'll be able to see where where they're at with him and if it goes well they can re-sign him and if it doesn't go well, then he's a free agent and you can let him walk. So it's a very low-risk addition for them as well. Brooklyn picking up James Harden. This is just something that it's like it's a it's it's like a two K move to me. I see this working on paper, but I don't think this is going to work in execution because it's it's the it's the constant problem with super teams is there's now three alpha personalities in the same locker room. There already were two and it's already created issues with Kyrie missing practices and not telling the coaching staff about it. Kevin Durant's gotten into it with him and a few other players on the team. And it's kind of, cause them to underachieve in the early part of the season. Yes, some of it is partially due, I think, to them trying to learn how to play together a little bit. But with this trade and giving up Torian Prince and Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, you lose a ton of depth. And they've already lost Spencer Dinwiddie for the year. So there's going to be only about just a little bit over half a dozen guys that are going to get a vast majority of the minutes because they just don't have many other guys to give minutes to Karis Levert. I think is an extremely underrated guy does a little bit of everything can play, make can play defense 
can hit the occasional three if you need him to. They're going to lose that. They're going to lose very good presence inside and great shot blocker in Jared Allen. He's had a little bit of a slow start to the year, but I think that's just kind of with all the moving pieces coming into Brooklyn and it's taken him a little bit of time to adjust, but I think he can do well in Cleveland and help a young team that's still trying to in that learning how to win phase, I guess you could say, but I just don't see this working out well for Brooklyn at all. I don't, I think it's going to, I mean, obviously with his contract, it's going to create massive issues for them in the future. They're going to have, if they, if KD does play well and then they want to, I guess, repay him down the line, that's going to be even tougher to deal with. And if say, and with the draft picks they're giving up, it's the definition of just going all in now. So if it doesn't work out, you're screwed. It's just this this trade for Brooklyn just screams complete and utter desperation on their part. And I don't like it. And I just feel like this is going to end ugly and blow up in their face. Because you still... You, you can't, like, scoring is one aspect of basketball. You have to play make. You have to play defense. You have to learn how to play all aspects of the game. You have to just, it's, basketball is a team game. It's not, you, even when you get to the NBA level, you can't just play iso ball. They've lost many games so far this year, including I think the second game to Atlanta. That was largely because there was very little ball movement, a ton of ISO ball, low communication on the defensive side of the ball. And so it allowed Atlanta to just dominate that from start to finish and hit a ton of open transition threes and finish inside with John Collins and Clint Capella pretty easily throughout that entire game. And that's kind of been the recipe for what's caused a lot of their issues. And I think this is pouring gasoline on a fire and it's only going to get worse. Indiana, I think is, does, is going to benefit a little bit from this, but not a ton. I mean, they're going to get, um, let me look, let me look at this trade again real quick. Cause it's just, like I said, ton of moving parts involved so it's hard to uh keep track i guess with everything going on but them picking up Karis Levert and a second round pick i mean they get a little bit i think they're trying to in a way replace i think what oladipo was giving them and get rid of his contract a little bit early I don't know if they plan to do something with that. It just doesn't, it just, they seem, it seems kind of like a net zero gain for all of us, for them. I don't really see them as a team that's going to make much noise right now and kind of stuck in the middle of all, everything with what the, the draft picks that they have and the talent that they have. They can't really seem to make up their mind if they want to rebuild or if they want to try to be a competitive team with, guys like DeMontis Sabonis. So, and Houston is able to get 
definitely just a couple of guys to kind of fill in roster spots that are in low risk positions. Dante Exum, of course, was drafted very was a top five pick when he came out for Utah, but really struggled there. So maybe you can have a little bit of what Orlando was able to do with Markel Fultz and really kind of revive his career a little bit, perhaps. He becomes a part of their future. Perhaps he just fills in a roster and perhaps he can be a guy that you end up, you can get solid trade value for him and get even more draft picks, which I think is kind of an idea of what they're trying to do. Because, I mean, this is a team that doesn't really have any big guys, so you want the guards to kind of have more size like Exum does. So, all in all, I think Houston 100% wins this trade, and then this spells, this is a recipe for disaster in Brooklyn. So I do not think this is going to end well, unlike what I've heard from other popular beliefs. I just want to kind of bring that up. I've heard that there's people even making putting them in a shoe in for the East. And I think even if, even if everything goes according to plan, I don't see that happening because like I said, it's, scoring and is one aspect of basketball. And I think with how these other teams already have the advantage of really played together and guys are just really improving on some, some of these other teams. Um, Jason Tatum, especially I think has a chance to win the MVP this year with how he's come in out of the gate. Atlanta is, Kind of getting hurt by injuries a little bit recently, but I think as the season goes on, they'll kind of develop and get a little bit better. Toronto has a chance to, in my opinion, be kind of the San Antonio of the Eastern Conference. I think they'll find a way to be competitive regardless of the roster situation that they're in. I just think there's too many hurdles for this Brooklyn team that's in the middle of a COVID crisis trying to learn how to play together and full of guys with skill sets that in my opinion don't really complement each other that well so I just don't see even if this goes even with the best possible outcome I still think it's going to be Boston coming out of the east but it'll be interesting to see how this takes course and how this affects the locker room situation up in Brooklyn but That's going to end the show for today. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to add me on Twitter at TaylorBell222 to get some show updates and some hot takes. And make sure to like and follow the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on. Thanks again for listening.